Hi, Dane. Thank you for joining Black Ink Cinema Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a real Oh, I know. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, for those who do not know, Dane is a comedian. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you began, how long you've been a comedian for. Oh, well, uh, if you include uh, lockdown, I've been doing comedy for uh, 10 years. So oh. I did a few gigs early on, probably around 2006, when I kind of got into comedy. And then kind of like, dabbled with it, but began comedy really in earnest in uh, 2010, BC. And by BC, I mean before Corona. <laughs> Everything's BC right now. Yeah, so I've been, I've, so I, I kind of started off, I suppose, doing open mic like most people do. Uh, and then in 2014, did my debut show in Edinburgh uh, and then got nominated for Best Newcomer. Yeah, and congratulations then, on that. Thank you. And it uh, turns out, first Black Britain to be nominated for the award. Um, and then I got to do Live with Apollo. And then in 2016, I, had my, I wrote a sitcom for BBC Three which was commissioned called Sunny D and that is the first black <laughs> on, on British TV in 20 years. Um, that was cool. And that was starring uh, Don Warrington from Rising Damp and Bemi Mello, who's now a BAFTA winner. Uh, uh, Kathleen Ryan, who's now got her sitcom, The Duchess coming out and stuff as well. Hilarious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I, um, yeah, I guess I've just been hustling and grinding like most people do. And you've got your own podcast, Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. I do, yeah, because I guess questioning things was kind of always a part of my personality. That and class clown, I suppose. So the more disruptive elements of me, according to most primary and secondary school teachers, that was always asking questions, always questioning stuff. And to ask questions. I think it's great to ask questions. I think that most uh, progressive social change begins with people questioning their reality or their position within society and what they can do to transcend that. And uh, yeah, the podcast is nice. It's lighthearted and stuff, not too daunting. Had some really amazing guests on. Mm. But yeah how to create a platform where people can give a real account of themselves and even them themselves can question everything as well. And I just think, again, it's important for us, especially given everything that's going on in the world now to always question uh, our reality. And I've had like, some amazing guests on. I've had one. Jamelia's been on. Patricia. Oh, yeah. Oh. Reggie Yates has been on. Had George Monbiot on. Uh, Catherine Ryan's been on again, as I said before. I've had... Um, yeah, loads of people. So um, I definitely encourage people to check that one out as well. So what kind of questions are you questioning? Uh, anything. Well, basically, the way that my podcast works is that I try to I ask questions um, of uh, the guests who are typically normally creatives, other people working in the entertainment industry or media, or yeah. just you know, philosophers or just great thinkers. And it's really just about trying to ask people questions they wouldn't normally hear if mm. they were doing normal press runs. And also giving people uh, who are creative themselves a platform for them to, you know, show another dimension to themselves outside of what they might be promoting or what they might do with themselves. But just having conversations because I generally think, you know, one of the real issues with our society is that people have been educated to either feel they need to raise their hand to question stuff or if they say, if they question any certain things, then they're considered to be uh, quite uh, stupid. And I always wanted people to kind of get rid of that idea, as I said, because, you know, especially yeah. if you live in a society where you are subject to governance or monarchy or any kind of uh, authority, you should always be able to say why. I hear that totally, especially with everything going on. Um, we heard there was a little incident on your uh, that you shared on your Instagram with you being mistaken for another fellow black comedian. Do you want to speak oh, a little yeah. bit on that? Well, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, it's very... <laughs> yeah, so, Rachel, like, so you could... Like, so if you would weren't more specific about it, I'd be like, that could happen all the time. So um, as I'm sure the listeners and watchers know that, uh, you know, over the last three months or so, 
uh, strangely, people have realised that uh, black people are globally oppressed. Um, and individuals. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's mad that people nowadays are like, yeah, the news misrepresents people. We're all like, no. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. So, uh, yeah, I um, most recently had been working on a show and was sent some pictures to uh, kind of approve before they went out for press. And then um, went out for press, and it turns out they sent me pictures and uh, thumbnails of Richard Blackwood. Now, if you don't know who Richard Blackwood is, uh, to the watchers and listeners, then feel free to Google both my name and his. And I'm very sure you'll see a very distinct difference. A, the fact that he has lots of hair, and I have very little. <laughs> He's taller than uh, broader than me. He's also 10 years older than me and has a really different name. And at one point in time, about 20 years ago, had his own TV show. So it's not like you don't know who he is. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. People are like, you know, sometimes you can make mistakes and blah, blah, blah. I feel like if I can see what someone's house looks like in Scotland, <laughs> Google, Google Earth, then it shouldn't be too hard for someone to tell the difference between two black guys. There's not loads of us. Literally. Um, I just, because I was scrolling on your Instagram and I was like, I don't get it. Why is... And then I read the caption. I was like, wow, really? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it absolutely happened. And um, yeah, I just, it made a frequent occurrence. So I was trying to make light of the situation. Yes. And uh, it, just got run, it kind of ran away. And um, yeah, it went kind of viral. And uh, at one point, someone was like, you know, you probably cost somebody their job. And I was like, well, I don't really care. If your job is to... <laughs> But if, if, if your job involves you making a distinction between two people, then if you can't do it, why do you have the job? I mean, I can tell the difference between Trump and Boris. So I just like, it'll be nice for... And there's five Jacksons. No one confuses them, Rachel. There's five Jacksons. And I've never seen... <laughs> because if you went... Because these people are like, you know, it can happen. Oh, yeah. But if you it went to watch happen. my... And Jermaine came out, you'd go freaking crazy. And be like, we yeah. came Michael. Or, you know... So I'm not, I'm not trying to hear that at all. <laughs> just lazy. Two Gallagher brothers in Oasis, they got two separate bands and they never get confused. No one's ever like, oh, I came ever. to see, what's Liam doing here? <laughs> I thought, but the other one, yeah, it's, it's just pure laziness. And in 2020, I'm sorry, there's, there's no excuse for it. Um, yeah. As soon as cameras and telescopes were invented, there's no excuse for it. And Google. And I mean, this is Google. Like, we have technology now where you can see the surface of the freaking moon, innit? <laughs> you could see a pubic hair on a fly's vagina with the cameras that we have nowadays. So, if you can do that, if you can yeah. see a doesn't work out, there's bodies of water on there. Mm-hmm. Also, if you weren't sure, you could have Googled it. So, your hubris is why you haven't got a job. And you yeah, probably that's have- your fault. So, no sympathy here. But it's, fun was had. Yes. And, you know, it's always been a part, I guess, of the rationalisation process. So the diaspora is that we take these things. So speaking of your Instagram, um, where can people find you on the socials? Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, um, without wanting to blow my own horn, uh, yeah, my accounts are verified. So you can type in Dame Baptiste and you'll find Ooh, me on a good place. Tick. Insta, uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. And I'm not saying that for someone to be impressed by Rachel, but I'm saying, once again, someone could have typed in my name. And- <laughs> So no- I get you, B. I get you. I, I'm, yeah, I, I can't, I can't excuse that anymore. We've all been there. We've all been there. I'm just saying there's like 27 different types of blonde here that you can go and buy from uh, Neutrogena. And you can also buy 17 different types of brunette and about 14 different types of red hair. So I don't want any confusion. There's no excuse. <laughs> oh God. Um, so 
We celebrate everything Black Cinema on Black Ink Podcast, and you chose the iconic Coming to America. Why did you pick Coming to America? Tell me a little bit about why. There are a number of reasons. I guess it was probably def- it was definitely a catalyst for me wanting to get involved in comedy because I found the film so incredibly funny. It was uh, a time when Eddie Murphy was pretty much approaching or was at the height of his career. Yeah. Uh, he rose to massive prominence. So for me, and I think for a lot of my peers, he definitely was a spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there's so many layers that come into America that make it so good. But for yeah. me... It, for me, it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Um, one of the most uh, amazing and uh, <laughs> distinctive performances by a comedian that I'd ever seen. Like, you know, people forget how young Eddie Murphy was when he was making these films. Yeah. And, you know, the amount of roles that he assumed. Like, even though people tend to reduce it and ridicule it now, but at the time, you know, him doing those roles and playing both Akeem and Randy Watson and mm-hmm. playing Barbershop and, you know, all of these roles... It was amazing. Like, this is a film where Samuel Jackson, who's now one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood, had a it's bit pop. crazy. But, like when you look back and you see Sam Jay and then yeah. who, who's become the highest grossing actor in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, Eddie put him on. Yeah, Eddie put him on. You know, and just again, you know, no, and that's another reason why I find the film so good is because so many positive portrayals of, um, you know, African-Americans in it as well. Yes, yeah. Well, well, it's continental Africans, even mm. though it's a fictional nation, it's still uh, represented very positively. And I think it was so influential in terms of its African aesthetic. The same, uh, you know, J- James L. Jones, uh, who oh, plays... Legend. Joffa and his wife, Aeolion. They were the same voice actors for um, Mufasa and his wife in uh, The Lion King. In The Lion King, I know. And it just, it warmed my heart. It warmed my heart completely, watching that and hearing his voice. So he just... It fit perfectly. Amazing. And it's, it's, I mean, it's just, even today, there are certain elements of that film which people still say to this day, like, you know, to transcend two centuries and about three or four generations. Like, mm. you know, in the same way that by Felicia is now like a meme. and now Exactly. Like, like sexual chocolate. <laughs> Do you remember, or how old were you when you first watched Coming to, remember, um, Coming to America? Sorry. You know, it's a good question. I couldn't have been more than eight or nine. Hmm. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Like, yeah. as a, I was completely engrossed. Um, obviously, some scenes are a bit more racy, which when you're a kid, it's like, bro, okay, you know, it worked for me a little bit. <laughs> nothing too crude. Um, but yeah, I, I remember it and just how enjoying it on so many levels. Like, you know, seeing Eddie Murphy as Randy Watson, I found to be massively hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. who I thought was hilarious as Mr. McDowell. But again, I didn't even realise the extent of his comedy career. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, for ages as well so he was amazing Arsenio Hall himself became a star in his own right and had one of the mm. most uh, I guess one of the most prolific cult talk shows in the US yeah um, but yeah I, I just remember seeing it and seeing uh, you know, Eddie Murphy being so funny and relatable immediately accessible straight away and um, yeah again, as I say for me seeing that film I was like I want to be able to do this yeah I mean I think I don't know why it reminds me of Christmas time because it just seems to be one of those films that either always comes on at Christmas but reminds me of my family and watching it with my family. Really? Um, it warms my heart. <laughs> that's what I mean. And that's why it's so good yeah. is that you know, there's something in that film for everyone. And like you said, it's very rare that we get any kind of Christmas films or even yes. Kwanzaa. But, you know, that's a film that works for both Christmas and Kwanzaa. And um, yeah. yeah, 
think that's when I kind of came across it as well as like my family and I kind of watched it together collectively over Christmas and you know it's always it's uh, aesthetic when you've got you know the oldest laughing the kids enjoy certain parts of it as well yeah but exactly. I mean moments, but I remember thinking just watching it and being engrossed and and then also realizing just how much it struck a chord and how influential and significant that film is not to just like people but to everyone all of my friends in yeah. university you know there's very few <clears throat> men my age where if I go sexual chocolate get it on <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if you don't know reference from coming to America, you're too young. It, uh, yeah, yeah, that mean, should I mean, be the deciding factor. Because people still study Shakespeare to this day. That film to me is a masterpiece. And, 100%. You know, I've got my two closest friends from uni. And to this day, if we see something, we're like, one of us turns to the other and go, that boy's good. Good, man. <laughs> good. You must be crazy. I mean... Oh, God. Like, even to this day you can ask most comedians sketch comics people that write shows whenever because we all know that the precinct and kind of the uh, landscape of the barbershop has always been a good premise for visual and verbal yeah. comedy I think most people are always still trying to replicate that scene yes it was uh, so um, you know if you've ever been I've, I used to have my hair short and I've been in barbershops so I'm fully aware of the conversations that happen in barbershops um, and I love it and it's just something that is so um, part of like the black culture um, the banter ripping each other to shreds just yeah it's um, it was really nice to kind of see and it's still going on it still happens still um, going on that kind of discourse and you know I, hope, I mean a lot of conversations have become a lot more progressive but for the most part I still think yeah all, especially when it's been re- re- replicated in a comedic style yeah. I think most people it's that part of it just walking there like, you must be at your goddamn man <laughs> <laughs> the be- I absolutely yeah. love the barber like he that that Clarence uh, character is just phenomenal absolutely um, he, he it, almost it, nearly it, outshines Prince Akeem like he's so no I, mean, I, I completely I would even argue as well as I mean even you know Akeem and that was and that was again a big, a significant um, display of range from Eddie yeah. Murphy because mm-hmm. as a straight man mm. in the in the comedy, he Akeem didn't really quip a lot and do lots of jokes, so he was a very silly person. He was very focused. Yeah. And then you know, whereas Randy Watson, larger than life, ridiculous, and you know, as I said, Clarence, absolutely ridiculous. And um, yeah, I just, I just thought it was amazing. You know. Yeah. I, very rare that you know and even to this day that you even get to see uh a rom-com and a comedy and that is like my earliest memory of a black rom-com and correct me unless someone please tell me if i'm wrong because i they haven't been any on that scale anyway um until more recently with you know jordan peele and and certain directors kind of pushing two black leads but um in that kind of light-hearted when Harry met Sally kind of way um yeah. it's not familiar for us without it being surrounded by trauma and here comes this like larger than life um royal family from Africa and he's like looking for love like true love he wants a woman with the brain I was like all right Eddie this is very forward thinking of you yeah. true Prince Charming and I think if you juxtapose that narrative with like today's uh, aesthetics of you know love was being prefaced by you gotta make this much money I need a boss and all this yeah. other stuff you know you had an independent uh, great inspiration for feminists in the form of Lisa yeah I don't need that stuff I can take care of myself but it's not her man actually. 
you know, it was a very good, it's a, it's a, it's a feel-good film. And I think uh, it's a shame that there aren't more of them. Yeah, and I don't know why there aren't, like you said, more fairy tale black stories. Yeah. Because I mean, this is what it is essentially. His princess arrives at the end, they get married and live happily ever after. Exactly. And Lord knows we could use a lot more papers <laughs> in the post. Oh God, we could. That would be so nice. Just some um happy some happiness time to time would be nice to see on telly. Exactly. But there's there's there are so many quotables from that film, it just you know. I think I think for most fans at this stage they can probably recite it like word for word. But it's been yeah. I would say that film is as influential as Scarface. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And the reason why, because I think um more recently with Black Panther, I think that was the closest we had to celebrating yeah. blackness in its fine and glory and it not being a trauma story or surrounded with slavery or anything like that. It was just like, you know, um Afrocentric, futuristic, um, ahead of the world, uncolonized. That's a good aesthetic, relatable, no, exactly. not too accusatory. And, you know, it's not like I don't need a film all the time to be blaming our oppressive stuff all the same. Yes. But I'm at a stage now, I have been for a long time. I'm not watching any more slavery films. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm my, my, my emotions can't take it. What are they for? What new evidence are you creating? I, I'm, completely over them i don't know why they still need to exist we all know this stuff and, and the thing to- is we know we we know it's <laughs> like there's no new you're not going to show me anything new that it's, i'm it's, unaware of and the thing is we say we know but really none of you have really captured the the, the real brutality no. of it exactly yeah that's, really, that's true they really made the uh, film it'd be banned and you would never see yeah. it because yeah. it'd be a snuff so you know exactly. I, then coming to america came around a time where for a very long time there was seldom any you know, positive representations of uh, black men or black people in general. Um, and we would exist as uh, the comedic foil to the lead protagonist in like body cop films, like yeah. you had Mel Gibson and the mullet, and then you had Danny Danny Glover. Glover. Yeah. So he's walking around with like a Uzi, and Danny Glover's got like a twenty-two caliber revolver, and he's like, "I want to quit, I want to quit." And I'm like, yeah. he's, "He's a grumpy old man." Like, grumpy old man, yeah. But even if I was a grumpy old man, after three films of fighting against terrorists, I'd have got a bigger gun by now. <laughs> just get, just hey. rolled up in there with a Mac Ten, just yeah. Yeah, it's lethal weapon four, and he's showing up with like a six. <laughs> Worst, the only time Danny Glover used a real strap was when he shot another black kid in Lethal Weapon 3 with armour piercing bullets and he had to have this big old funeral and the kid's mum slapped him and it's like, oh, well, the only time he gets to kill somebody, one of his own. So, Ooh. for me, Ooh. one of the me, there. you know, but that was, like I said, that was, that was the foil. It was like, for a long time, it was very rare that you saw these positive representations. So, not just having like, you know, a protagonist in a rom-com, but him being like, you know, a prince and being royalty and stuff. Yeah, exactly. There were so many things, um, especially for me, like growing up, um, being from Africa, and usually the representation is you're, you're, you must be poor with flies on your head. Like that is it. And so having that, which finally reminded me of where I'm from and, and my people and the celebrations and the colors and the, just the joy, like the genuine joy that we, that just surrounds us. Um, it was so nice to see. You know, you know who loves it as much as you, Rachel? Do you know who loves coming into America as much as you? Who? Beyonce. Ooh. I mean, we can see that. <laughs> Her film, like all of this, the song for Baby Boy, and I think mm. even uh, uh, 
Black is King. Yeah. And you, you could look at even Beyonce's choreography and a lot of her aesthetics. Oh, yeah, it's so African. Like, it's all from yeah, it. Yeah, but influenced in that film because the, at the wedding, the choreography was done in the film by um, Paula Abdul. Yes, and that was from Thriller. Apparently, they used parts of it from the Thriller choreography as well. They kind of you the see, if, you, if you slow it down a little bit, you will see that that's literally... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's really again, The film was so influential, I believe it's probably one of the, also one of the reasons why... Eddie Murphy was the pharaoh in Remember the Time with Michael Jackson. Right. So with that, I would have thought it was the same director who directed that video. It was actually John Singleton. Uh Uh, Yeah, because obviously he'd worked together, um, Londis had worked together with Eddie Murphy and um, Michael Jackson quite a bit in music videos and on the film. So I just thought, oh, it must be. But then, no. And John was you know, R.I.P. was quite young at the time as well. And to bring all those like iconic black heroes all in one video, I just, it's still to, to this day, my favorite Michael Jackson video. I said it. What can be said? You know? <laughs> favorite Michael Jackson videos are not really things that people can critique because each one, because he set the standard for, you know, exactly. being archetypal superstar. And I remember like at the same time when I was enjoying stuff like coming to America, when you heard the news that Michael Jackson had a new video, it was like, listen, yeah, I don't care, I don't care what's on this cassette, yeah? It's getting deleted. <laughs> Drop everything. The colour purple? No, mum. <laughs> no more. Michael Jackson back with something fresh. So, yes. yeah. Big, and I, I think I still have Coming to America on VHS. Like, it's, it's one of those films where I'm like, if it's on, you're never going to be like, ugh, not Yeah, again. no, you just let it play. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and uh, there are, it's, it's, um, like I said, it, it's even so much more rewarding now to go back to it as a comic and working within the medium mm. and still, or, uh, you know, of the layers of comedy that I enjoyed so much and what things, some things that what I liked about it. And like, even, even Eric LaSalle, like Eric LaSalle was one of the most, uh, uh, brilliant protagonists in ER. Yeah. Oh my God. I used to love ER. Yes. But every time he's in it, I just be like, she don't want to get at your thick piece girl. <laughs> And he's like, you know, ER, really he's, funny. He's, a, he's an ER, he did medicine science frontiers, he's performing surgery. And in my head, all I can hear is, just imagine yourself. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> and just that wet look, that horrible, horrible Jericho. Gerald, Gerald Jericho. I mean, we say horrible, but you know, 10 years later, the S curl came into the fashion. The horrible. You know, <laughs> I lost that battle, but, um, you know, <laughs> people go natural again, but. I could definitely see that coming back. I think I see young kids nowadays, they have a little bit of the of the curl at the top. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, we can't, yeah, we can't keep up. Um, what was kind of forward thinking for me at that time is the fact that in most rom-coms, you usually see the women going out to look for love, like true love. And mm-hmm. in this, it was actually Eddie. He was like turning down the most stunning woman in my eyes at, when I first watched it. Like, what's he doing? Like, she's beautiful. What more do you want in life? Yeah. Um, but really wanting true love and that's not something you usually kind of at that time anyway associate with guys it's more like a, a girl thing who's like i really want true love um it was it was a great um archetype for uh, eddie murphy to represent because you know i mean you think about it years later now we're having conversations about toxic masculinity and uh, ideas but you know for a man who was you know supposed to be destined in a film to be an african king to want a 
wife that's capable of critical thinking and not just to be an object of a desire. It was very, again, a very progressive idea. And, um, you know, it would have been nice to think that following that, people would have more aspired to create more uh, Prince of Kings than Tony Montana's. <laughs> yeah, you would kind of think. Um, do you feel like, because this was kind of at his height, this was like his biggest flex in terms of budget, the the story, um, just producing such a masterpiece. Um, all the actors, all the cameos, you had Cuba Gooding Jr. in there, um, F. Yes. Mary Gray. Like, you just had everyone. He was great. You know, like yeah. we said, Sam J. earlier um, in there. Do you feel like, I don't know how many people have got away with kind of like doing that or kind of introducing some of these, like the greats. Yeah, it's, it's rare that it can be done really well. It does take a lot of skill. And uh, I think sometimes it's that you just get lined in the bottle, especially people like burgeoning stars. Yeah. And maybe not, yeah, there's not much politics involved in putting the town together. Then um, it's not crazy straight away. Where, you know, and I, I think that maybe one of the more recent in, uh, examples of that would be like Friday, for example. Yeah. So Friday, yeah, I mean, to imagine Bernie Mac and Chris Tucker. I know, I know film now like that, you know how much that would cost you these days <laughs> yeah yeah that's po- that's a um, yeah, yeah so, 100 mil for sure yeah. yeah so even do you know what else was even amazing as well and I forgot like Coming to America had easter eggs because they had they did a, a nod to um, Trading oh, Place yes my guys from Trading uh, Places Christmas film that was uh, helmed by Eddie Murphy and you know and I think uh, maybe that's why I still have this like Christmas feel about it because Trading Places as well is another like Christmas movie um, and I thought that was quite cute and if you were under a rock and somehow missed that film um, it was just so nice to kind of honour those characters and it was seamlessly done you didn't they didn't stand out it wasn't like that was one of the times we've seen an example of a cinematic universe and if we can continue to go back to a Zamunda cinematic universe I'd yeah be- I I still think I would like in Black Panther for them to just like acknowledge Zamunda en route to I don't know New York or whatever. Like T'Challa, you gotta go go see Prince Akeem. He'd be like, you know, Semi gets too lit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think that'd be brilliant. Do you know what I mean? They're both kind of like made up utopias of Africa, so I think that would be. But that being said, I think you know you never underestimate because. I think if people see that enough, then it might it would encourage people to kind of want to create that same kind of aesthetic. Oh, 100%. Uh, talking about all the different characters that Eddie Arsenio play, um, who's your favourite, you, like, from the side characters? Um, it's, oh, that's a tough one, but I'd say definitely the uh, Arsenio Hall as the pastor. Oh, my God. Is the best. So awful. <laughs> it's, like, such a good pervy preacher I want to be right <laughs> obviously Randy Watson yeah I think sexual chocolate but then yeah the barber as well it's, it's so hard to choose but I will say as well what I really really loved was when the scene when Akeem and Semi go to the nightclub oh yes so, that's brilliant that's a nice scene where you can showcase like the talent of the women comics as well yeah yeah and seeing that as well I just thought it was just amazing um, it's, it is a, it's really good it's really nice to be considered. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they could have just. I wish, wish this happened. This happened so much more. And again, for me, it's like definitely something I would aspire to recreate. And uh, you know, it's definitely something I tried to recreate. A, a very similar scene in Sunny D in the sitcom. Mm-hmm. I was reflecting on my dating past and stuff as well. 
Um, so because like even to this day, I still want to know what Peaches is up to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, because she was the best, and all the DJs wanted to feel her breast. I mean, there's so many quotables from this film. It's even exciting to still talk about it to this day. Yeah, one of my favourite characters is the um, yes, the barber and the pervy preacher, but also the Jewish guy. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I just think that was genius. Like, you see, and you can it proves that you can be a black creative and talk about Jewish people and not have to get cancelled for offending them. Well, that was my next question. Do you think that if <laughs> coming to America was made today, that there would be an issue with that, or do you think people would see the banter, the humour, and get it? I mean, people are a lot more sensitive to such things nowadays, so there may be some backlash, but do you know what? I wouldn't give a shit. So I still watch it. I still support it. And um, I think that the film was very balanced in terms of the archetypes, and there's nothing particularly derogatory there as well. I was saying, like, he makes fun of Africans the most in that film. Like, there are so many things that he talks about and says, um, like, when the landlord is letting him in, he's just like, you know, there's flies and animals in there. You're used to that. And yeah. it's like, mm, excuse me. <laughs> In Africa, chase the monkey. Yeah, it's just like, there are so many, like, stereotypes and digs. That you would expect to hear, and just see him, kind of the way he played with them, it was really cool, man. Yeah, uh, it was. Again, it's something I do as well. I have, you know, with my African friends, if I haven't seen him for a long time, I genuinely would go, oh my God, I cannot believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me they respond. uh, (laughs) Take a picture. (laughs) <laughs> that bit was but the thing is like as an African that was so African like that is literally the really? response you would get there would be a whole song and dance just of saying hello and goodbye um, and everyone will be fully aware of it um, also one of my favourite seasons when he's walking through the airport and he's like no one must know we're here with a hundred <laughs> behind him that's but, quite African as well African now, but you know what? Like at the same time, nowadays you see the same thing being displayed by the Nova Reach from Russia or even like you know oh, yeah. Nigeria and stuff. And so, again, in many ways ahead of its time. And we live in a time now where you know there's a lot of elements of opulence that's kind of celebrated. So yeah, again, aesthetically it's had the curve. Like if you saw a Prince Hakeem walking through an airport, it wouldn't even look that crazy. No, that would be completely normal now, and it would yeah. just be him showing off his drip. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, much more likely you wouldn't get a cab and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. in some ways, obviously, he was quite naive. I think to be remade again, the new Prince of King with his wealth and his intellect would be a lot more savvy about uh, elements of American culture, I think. But, yeah, of um, course. It'd be interesting to see because I think they are, they are. There is a sequel in the way, they say. Oh, <laughs> so that leads me into my next question. How do you feel about a sequel? Are you for it? Are you not? What's... I, I, I feel like everyone is aware that nostalgia is a big part of the subgenre of entertainment now, so it's hard to avoid. Like Everybody wants to go backwards for that respect, so you've got to respect it. But um, myself, personally, I think they should they can remake the film, but mm. I don't think they should call it a sequel. Yeah. Like, you know, point in time when like the early noughties where there was a lot of remakes of like um, classic 70s sitcoms, like, yeah. and I think they remade like, the A-Team again, they did like Starsky and Hutch again, mm. and I you know, it's an it's an icon. It's an iconic film that you can't replicate. Like you know, the other Fridays aren't bad films, but because they're being measured against Friday, they never really yeah, measure up. I exactly. think coming to America now that you know Landis isn't around anymore, 
and you know Eddie's pretty old is much older now and stuff as well and certain elements of his comedy he doesn't want to replicate I feel like it can definitely be done but I just I just hope because you know I think that was at a time it was made at a time where you know a film was just made to be a good film and be compelling I was still versioning as like a, I suppose as a uh, as a form of commerce whereas now there are so many more stakeholders that are involved in the process of putting together a film. You've got to take into account product placement and how can yeah. you, like East Asian markets. And I feel if they were trying to make a good film, mm. that's funny and be a funny rom-com about, you know, an Afri- a mythical African nation. Yeah. And, you know, talent from the diaspora. I think that can be done very well. Mm. But I just uh, the endeavour, like, you know, I would rather edit a or a bit part rather than trying to force it. Like, for example... The, the, the remake of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. I loved I thought it was cool. People, you're ruining the legacy, blah, blah. I don't look at it as like a sequel to Ghostbusters in, like, in the canon. It's just a good film. It's a remake of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. With all women. But again, they're not, it's not Ghostbusters. It's the name yes. Ghostbusters into gender. So exactly. But I, 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 I know I'll probably watch it for the sake of the and how much it influenced my comedy, but yeah, I think, I think it can make a good one. There's a lot. There's, I feel like the film probably influenced so much comedic talent, and I think what would give this film the new a remake of Coming to America, the nuance it does, the nuance it should deserve, uh, would be to employ so much of the continental African talent we see today. Like you know, mm. this was now you know before then it was very different. Whereas now, where you've got like your Trevor Noahs and your yeah. um, and um, Bucket Mouths and you know. Um, people like Trix from Canada, who's Ghanaian and stuff as well. Mm. Like the continent, and I, you know, I was fortunate enough to do the Johannesburg Comedy Festival last year. Oh wow! Rich with like community talent. So I think for a film like this to for that film to work, I think and to have the global appeal it deserves, mm. it's taking that talent as well as so much talent that's been influenced by Eddie Murphy because we're now like you know maybe three generations later in terms of comedy, uh, you know, from the states. Yeah, that I'm sure influenced and so. Yeah, I'd love to see a film like that and with like maybe a Jay Farrow as the lead. Yeah, yeah. he's hilarious. He's so he, funny. He looks enough like Eddie and can definitely sound like him to pull it off. So I say Jay Farrow to play the son of a king in Coming to America, the return to return the return to Af- return to the motherland. <laughs> I love that. Um, I totally agree with you, and I'm not a fan of remakes or so-called sequels if it's really unnecessary. I just think just make a whole new film and cast certain people and and like you've suggested like do cameos and maybe you know reference certain things but i just think there is room for new material rather than just like recycling old stuff um did you ever watch the series there was like a pilot of coming to america series i did watch it i i knew it existed but i'm so against things like that that i just was like i'm not involved i just wanted to it was worth worth watching with (laughs) now um also the music in there was written by the legendary nile rogers um which has this very like 80s punky um (laughs) feel to it did Mm -hmm. you did you love the music I mean, I did love the music, and now that I found out who was the uh, composer, I love it even more, and it makes absolute sense why the music was so amazing and engaging. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nile Rogers is a legend who sometimes I feel doesn't uh, is not given the respect uh, and mentioned in like, the same vein, I suppose, as greats that we know as like your James Browns and your Princes and mm. you know, 
but you know, Nile Rodgers essentially was the innovator of a style of playing the guitar that people yeah. still try this day. So um, yeah, I loved it. Like, it was that soundtrack at the end. Oh, say can you see? Brilliant. America. Love it. Loved it all. I still think, I don't know if we should credit him for the she's your queen to be. I don't know if he wrote that. Whoever was the magician behind the lyrics of that song forever is in my heart because the lyrics were just hilarious. I'm going to say now, Rachel, I'm going to sing it at my wedding. (laughs) Oh, that's got to be beautiful. Please share that with the rest of the world. Please do. Of course. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I will definitely do that at my wedding and I won't lie to you I've been to weddings and even though I haven't said that loud in my head I've been like <laughs> you were just like getting prepared oh Sean then shut up you are that is well at least you're prepared and your wife will be very happy um, at the wedding yeah the, at the wedding one thing I have to say that kind of jars me about movies from, or black movies and TV series from the 80s, 90s, basically up until 2020 last uh, this year, um, is casting family members. <clears throat> now, Lisa is clearly biracial. <laughs> Her sister, who they apparently share the same mum. And I love how they just always like try to, one of the parents is missing, so you just have to leave it to like yeah. question. Um, but they're supposed to be four sisters because they talk about the mum not being with them. Um, it's such a cop-out. And that, I'll explain why it's such a cop-out as well. On top of that, Lisa, who represents everything, angelic, beautiful, smart. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And his uh, sister's a bit Terrible. more... Yeah. yeah, and then her dark-skinned sister who represents <laughs> rashness. Yeah, superficial and, yeah. Superficial, chasing the guys. Like, she goes through about three guys in there just, just trying to catch a guy. And it, yeah. And I remember even watching that as a young girl and I was like, mm, I don't... You're making me not like her, but it's yeah. who she represents. Yeah. Trying to say. And so there's been this character constantly in black movies, constantly um, in other movies as well. Like if, if you want the best friends, always like the yeah. face of the best friends, always a black oh. dark skin girl. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, not every day. Yeah, it was, it was in Honey. And I think, yeah, it's a very free. Yeah, in Honey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I'm honest, and probably because I was a guy and a child, I didn't notice initially mm-hmm. until the women in my family made me aware. But at the same time, because in my family, like my dad is very fair. My mother's, my mom's darker. Mm-hmm. So I probably wasn't as aware of it as I, I should, I, I, what I am now. But yeah, it was definitely something I noticed and it, and it was an issue. And uh, yeah, I really hope that's something that uh, is addressed moving forward. I feel like, you know, with people like Lena Waithe and people like Issa Rae, who are, um, yeah. I'm gonna, they are. I would, I would go so far as say right now, as far as black comedy is concerned, between those two, I mean, she's probably one of the best independent filmmakers right now. And I'd say that Lena Waithe is carrying a torch from Spike at the moment. And oh, 100%. Like, her creativity is just madness. Absolutely. And I would also say, uh, after watching the film Little with Regina uh, Hall and Masai Martin. Love Regina. That's probably one of the funniest black films I've seen in the last and it had Issa as well yeah and, Issa, and, Issa, and Issa Rae like oh, Issa, the best writer right now I think she's the best 
I mean, I don't, and I don't even want to try and reduce it by proceeding, prefacing what I'm saying by being black, but so far as her representation of yes. um, black archetypes in cinema. I've been saying this. I've right been now. saying this from the rooftops. Have you seen Little? Pardon? Have you seen the film Little? Yeah, of course I have. I saw it in the cinema twice. That film is so funny, I almost dashed my popcorn at someone's head just to be like, hey, hey, can you believe how funny this is? <laughs> like, it was... I love the fact that Marseille, what she's doing, like that whole the little trio of fabulous women. I was just like... Young, the youngest exec producer in, um, in the Hollywood history. I just want to uh, high-five her parents. Like, thank you. Thanks. I just... I, I, if I meet Marseille Martin and Issa Rae, it, I can't do anything less than prostrate for them. <laughs> I've already... They have a warning. They have a warning. Uh, Listen, there's certain future certain people you have to prostrate for. If you see Cicely Tyson, you prostrate. There's no question. Oh, 100%. 100%. You must prostrate. So... 100%. Just... I'm, 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 I'm 200% serious about that, you know. If you see Cicely Tyson, you must prostrate. 1 million percent. Like, she's a living legend. She's a living legend. A living Harry, legend. Harry, Harry Belafonte, you must prostrate. And, uh, you know, right now, Issa Rae, you, might not, you have to prostrate. Like, yeah, you, know, you have to. So, so I'd say, like, yeah, it was, it was an issue. And I think it, it was an issue that... Um, kind of carried across a number of elements of uh, black creativity. Mm. There is a wave now and there's a much more broader discussion about issues like colorism that's being addressed. And not that everything's changed for the bear right away, but I think there's now rebuttal and like for myself personally, very inspired by the fact that there's now methods by which, you know, black women as a whole can have these discussions and raise mm. their rebuttal and raise their concerns and, uh, you know, if they want to be detractors, they have every right to do so. But what's much more encouraging is that, you know, rather than lament it, like I said, you have now creatives who are addressing that and yeah. creating you know, these new aesthetics that are amazing. So, mm. yeah, I think... I, For me, like, even when Beyonce did Brown Skin Girl, yeah, I, I don't think people who are, like, non-black women understand how Beyonce singing that and then yeah. even just now dropping that whole visual of her and Kelly, like that just melted my heart because they've created yeah. this kind of like division of light skin, dark skin. And actually, yeah. it's quite nice for a sister, yeah. a light skin sister to be like, mm, no, I'm not involved. I'm, I'm not yeah. part of any of that. Again, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they're, they're, this is, I mean, you know, you have to give up to the women is that this is being addressed by like the aforementioned. Mm -hmm. Also, I've heard Zendaya's, um, you know, she's referenced her own light skin privilege and stuff as well in terms of mixed yeah, issues. Yeah. Which is massive. She's encouraged. my girl. I love her as well. Yeah, and she, you know, she's she's definitely addressed it as well. And so, um, you know, seeing like I said, seeing someone Beyonce doing that, and then you know that narrative being further bolstered by the Solange's body of work in general. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it both for good things. So I would say, yeah, moving forward, if we were to ever ponder the idea of a uh, anthology for something like Coming to America, then you need mm -hmm. the people to go to to make sure the thing bangs properly. Oh yeah, for sure. There needs to be a woman involved in the creative because I, I just I, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely essential. And it's yeah. mad because my mum's dark and my dad's fair. So when I watched Coming to America and mm. I see parents, I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could relate to that. Um, talking about Coming to America, there are so many, like you said, iconic lines, iconic moments. Are there any lines that stick out to you? Like for me, maybe it shouldn't, but like your old penis is clean, your highness. Like <laughs> that. For, I was just like, is this... Is this life? Is this okay? This is his life. This is happening. I probably couldn't indulge that part too much because I was watching <laughs> it family. But um, yeah, there's so many points. But I think for me, like I said, it's I guess there's maybe there's a British aspect to that. Is that for me? It's um, 
it's the subtle things where it's like, this is Reverend Brown. He's been my pastor for years and I love him very much. And Reverend was like, ugh, what the f- <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's like universally hated by everybody and it was slimy and this like, sexual jacket. And then this, that boy's good. Man, you must be crazy. <laughs> good and terrible. It's a, yeah. Yeah, even that little conversation with them in the church and stuff, the interaction is just brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, uh, for me, like, obviously, and I guess I'm like, more savvy with comedy now, like, all the big laughs are all good, but for me, it's it's the little stuff, like, um, it's, mm. just, it's all things where it's like, see, McDonald's got the Big Mac. We got- <laughs> <laughs> I demand so the clever. cheese. <laughs> I don't demand with the sesame seed bun. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> or even Louis Anderson, who, again, is a American comedy legend, where he's like, at the moment, I'm watching Lattice. Soon I'll be on the fries. <laughs> and that's when the fucks come in. <laughs> yeah, even though he didn't play a huge part, his role was brilliant because I feel that's like it. everyone who's ever worked in retail knows someone. Who yeah, exactly. And that's, what you, so. that's, that's great comedy is that sometimes it's been able to utilize comedic talent to just be like, you just need to do uh, four lines and it'll be perfect. And it's yeah. edited, and there's so many instances of that in like coming to America as well. Like even the lady when he goes to um, do the mail order when he, she goes, King John for we are in dire straits. <laughs> yeah, she's like, make it a cool meal. Make like, it yeah. a cool meal. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Her execution was just on point. Yeah. I, 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 just, I also, like you said, I like the archetypes of the women in coming to America. Mm. I mean, like, definitely the colorism was an issue, but, you know, having um, Queen Aeolian doesn't have it off from Jaffe Joffa. Yeah. Then, I love that. She held yeah, him I, down. She held him down. And, and I said it so iconically to the point where they had to pay the same uh, mum and dad for, uh, for uh, Simba. Yeah, love that. Um, so where does Coming to America sit in your Eddie body of work? If you had to name your top three Eddie oh, would, would Come to America coming? Well, no, it's at the top. And then I'd say for me, probably trading places. And then Raw, if you consider Raw, because Raw is like a comedy uh, concert, but it's a movie. Yeah, and but no, okay, no, we're going to take Raw out because that's cheating. Man, uh, <laughs> you've got to take Raw out, that's cheating. So yeah, so Coming to America is number one. Then number two, I'd say probably trading places. And then number three, that's a tough one because. And I have to choose between either Beverly Hills Cop, Golden Child, and maybe another, or maybe 48 hours. Um, but gun to my head, <laughs> I'm going to say, oh, I missed one. All right, so number one is coming to America, then trading places, and then because you're putting a gun to my head, I'm going to say mm, Beverly Hills Cop for the soundtrack. Okay. Yes. Same. I would definitely Beverly Hills Cop one and two. To be fair, I do love two as well. Um, yeah, two. Devil, um, coming to America and life is pretty up there for me. I think people forget about life. You say people forget, but again, another example of like it's just because there's so much comedic talent in that film. Mm-hmm. It's not that it it means that people don't shine very well, but it's like you know you got like you got. Eddie, Martin Lawrence, Bernie Mac. Um, oh, God, there's so many people. In that yeah, movie. there is. There's too yeah. many people. But it's just like, you know, life is a great film. I just, I like, 
but I'm like a, a soft Phoenix. I'm like, <laughs> they were in prison for too long. <laughs> yeah. It's cold life. You could find that film as well. Oh, man. That film was amazing. Yeah. Exactly. So if anyone was living under a rock and they have not managed to watch Coming to America and you had to direct them to YouTube to watch a clip, what would the clip be? Oh, I, it would have to be... Gotta be a uh, sexual chocolate black awareness week. <laughs> God, that was as as a woman, that was very, very painful and hard to watch sometimes like yeah. as an adult now. Like as a kid. No, I, I absolutely get that. And you know, it's only you remind me of that because when I was a kid, paid no attention to it whatsoever. Yeah, it just like, yeah. I I, I I don't know, I, I guess I was raised by a lot of women. There's never been an instinctive for me to like objectify the women in that when he like is turn around ladies. I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even feature. I was more like, "What well, they're doing McDonald's for free?" <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, um, I'd say that would be the one to watch. Maybe we'd skip after that, and then probably just go straight to the intro of Randy Watson. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah. I quite like the dance sequence at the beginning. I feel like just in fact the whole beginning was just um, That's a, iconic. Yeah. The wedding, the wedding, the wedding um, reception would be a good one as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that barbershop scene, Mum couldn't. Play, I'm complete. I'm complete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, club scene is also good. But sorry, the nightclub scene when they go and meet the oh, ladies. Yeah, that's quite popular as well with our senior hole doing his his uh, feminine touch exactly. um, character, which he played really well. It was so funny. You can just see Eddie's face is trying so hard not to laugh throughout that whole scene. So um, hard. I hope that they maybe uh, use a, a actual trans uh, actor positively moving forward which I'm sure they can definitely do I think there's, yeah. there's a lot to definitely use so um, but yeah I'd say those are probably one to, for me it would probably be yeah, the Randy Watson scene mm, for sure um, I, yeah I genuinely think any any clip from that film would do anyone even when Eddie is just finished his date with Lisa and he's singing in the streets which <laughs> yeah. is something you don't often see and it made me think of singing in the rain and yeah. Although he's singing terribly, it's all intentional, but it's like, I'm so overjoyed and happy. And it was just like, um, we all feel like that sometimes when you're just like, oh, that was like the best day ever. Yeah, I've done that. I've definitely done that. <laughs> I, won't, I can tell you for free. I've definitely walked home and gone, someone talk here. To be loved, what a feeling. To be loved. I have, I have. And then taking my headphones out and being like, oh, snap, people can hear me. <laughs> Super awkward. Well, I'll do it again, Rachel. I will do it again. Do it again. Dane, it has been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. Um, And it'll be amazing if you can come to one of our screenings um, up and running. So you are more than welcome to join us anytime. I would love to, definitely. Awesome. And well, best of luck with everything that you do, your podcast as well. Um, And hopefully we'll catch up soon. For sure, uh, anytime. And I will be at the Black Ink Cinema as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care.